Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up we've got to say a very good morning again to Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Morning Stephen. Good morning Pam and good morning everybody out there. Uh, I think it's going to be quite a nice Sunday actually. Uh, The weather doesn't look like it's going to get too hot today at least. Although it's building. It's building yeah, well, again. It's, yes, Here the we summer go. is really going to hit us in the next few days. Oh, I think, I think it is. But anyhow, yep. um, it was bound to happen eventually, so we've just got to grin and bear it. Mm-hmm. I have to say, the older I get, the more I uh, sort of hate summer, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's just too much of a struggle. And, uh, yes, I always look forward to the end of it, really. Absolutely. Uh, but anyhow, you know, it's getting on towards Christmas, so let's all enjoy our um, relatives and family and friends and um, uh, all the joy de vivre that we'll be mm. having. And, um, yeah, and just keep an eye on the garden and our pets over the next week. Yes, keep cool. Mm. Yeah, but of course this is one of the reasons why the gardening show goes into recession until February, mm. because we all have to water our gardens, and those of us like you have got nurseries and... Mm. I mean, there's there's just so much maintenance just to keep things ticking there over. There certainly is. So yes, you yes you've got to be on top of it. And uh, we've actually got a Christmas function in our garden this morning uh, when I get back. Uh, but I was looking around the garden yesterday, thinking, oh God, I've got to get all the hoses out. Everything's going to have to start from now on in because there's quite a number of things. That even last night, we're looking a little flaggy and would probably appreciate a drink, which they won't get till tomorrow night. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, it's it's surprising how quickly things will sort of dry out and things sort of need attention. So, yep, I'll be doing lots of that over the next sort of few days, I think. Yep, fair enough. We also have to say a very good morning to Meryl Johnson from Country Farm Perennials. Morning, Meryl. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be here. Oh, welcome back. Thank you. We only seem to manage to get you sort of December or February when you're not overseas gallivanting around again. Well, I'm home looking after the garden. Yeah, like, like yes. everybody else. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to head home and do some deep watering and mm. get everything ready because we have had 
endless days of overcast weather and even that delightful scotch mist. Mm. <laughs> yes, you've had it quite good down there. I was talking to your other half yes. outside earlier and he was saying how, you know, it's been such a lovely mild and it lovely has spring been. down your way. It hasn't been quite so good our way. I think it's it started drying up much earlier. We're yeah. just a little tiny fortunate pocket at the moment and mm. we have had I tremble to say it when so many people are really struggling, but we have had decent rains. Yes. And it's been regular and, and really a, a false sense of security because now we're really going to cop it. <laughs> yes, I think so. Yes, but right. even worse because the plants really are very, very soft because they haven't had a lot of sun, astonishing to yeah. say, in December. Yeah, yeah. so it's going to hit them hard. Moved. No, tomato, it's going to be another bad tomato <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Yes, well, Penny Woodward gave me some tomato seedlings a few weeks ago when I was in here. I think it was the last time I was in. Yes, it yeah, was, pr- last time you are in. Yeah, some of these new compact varieties, well, they're still very compact. compact. <laughs> <laughs> they, they may have, remain that way. Yeah, they've hardly moved. I was yeah. looking at them last night <laughs> thinking... They look like they're just about to start moving, but they, you know, they've been in the ground for a fortnight because I took them home and planted them almost that day, um, and they've just sat there. Mm-hmm. They, they, they've just not moved at all. So well, this is this is the latest I have ever planted out my veggie garden mm. yes, um, this year, yep. but. But I don't think I'm going to lose anything. No, we wouldn't have gained anything. We wouldn't have gained a thing. Everything would have just earlier. sulked. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, well, my basil was planted about four weeks ago. And, and it's, it's still looking basic. all yellow <laughs> and miserable. It still basically <laughs> hasn't moved. Yeah. You know, and, and yet you sort of say, well, once you get past Cup Day, you normally start sort of really getting underway. Yeah. Uh, but this year it certainly hasn't been that advantageous to be quick off the mark. Yes. No. So, but yes, if this warm weather sets in this week, as long as I can keep the water up to things, certainly the veggie to... garden will start to rocket ahead. Yes. Mm. We're as, trying yeah. something different this year with our tomatoes because we had such a disastrous year last year. It was tragic. Mm. Oh but so this year we've tried great big black plastic pots in full sun, so um, okay, <laughs> they could all die by the end. Of the <laughs> they could all dry out very yeah, exactly. rapidly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, time will tell. Time yes, will tell. that's right. Well, I'm just hoping that the ones Penny gave me have a reasonable crack at doing something because I really want to see what these new tomatoes. Yes, are well, like. I've planted some of hers as well, and I must say they look very healthy, sturdy dwarf plants. Yes, they do. They look quite they, good, they but they're very good, small and they're staying that way, which yes, is a bit of a worry. Yes, so and my sweet corn's taking its time to get moving too. It's sort of these little bits of grass sticking up out of the ground. <laughs> I think, oh, come on, you can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyhow. Uh, oh, well, it's, it's all part of the challenge, Stephen. It's, it's yeah. all fun, isn't it? It is fun. And it's such a triumph when you get a beautiful vegetable. We're harvesting wonderful cauliflowers at the moment. Yeah. Oh, right. David's a dab hand at cauliflower cheese. I'll have it for breakfast, lunch and dinner if I can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good old. Well, I'm going to get to uh, the couple of uh, little messages I have because there's very much uh, a lack of, of uh, community announcements at the moment. Of course, everything winding up for the Christmas New Year period. But I will remind listeners that... Um, uh, during January, in fact, Saturday the 25th of January, um, Upper Cloud Hill, Melbourne Opera Trust uh, is going to, uh, to be in the garden there. So that's Saturday the 25th of January. Now, the idea is that um, you arrive 5 to 5.30, um, you take along a picnic, bottle of wine if you want to, some low fold-up chairs or a rug, 
Um, and uh, you enjoy your picnic in the garden before it all starts. Uh, usually they try and uh, time it to start uh, 6 till roughly about 8.30. Mm-hmm. So... Um, uh, now, if you do want to book for that one, as I say, that's Saturday the 25th of January. You can book online simply by, uh, if you type in Cloud Hill, uh, their website will come up and booking details. Or you can call uh, Jeremy on 97511009. Now, the only other thing I'm going to mention, because, uh, because the gardening show won't be here until the first Sunday in February... There will be a few gardens opening up over January um, for Open Gardens Victoria. So if you've got a pen and paper, I will mention these again uh, next week. But at least uh, if you've, you can, I suggest you jump online and actually uh, go to Open Gardens Victoria website and you can read all the full details. That's the easiest. But I will uh, give you a quick uh, hint of what's going to be open so you can pop it in your diaries. Firstly, two of them down uh, uh, in the same area on the opening on the 18th and 19th of January. Now, one is Sunnymead, which is at 48 Harvey Street in Anglesey, and the other one is Minter Drive uh, Gully, uh, which is at Belbray. So they're both um, within easy driving distance of each other, both opening 18th and 19th of January. The usual time slot for Open Gardens Victoria, which is 10 through till 4.30. And um, uh, as I say, uh, go to the Open Gardens Victoria website and you'll get all the details, plus you'll get some photos up there of those gardens. Now, the only other two that I'm going to mention, uh, which is the second opening, which is actually uh, 1st and 2nd of February, but because we won't uh, be on air until the 2nd of February, I'm giving you um, prior warning of these two. Uh, now, these are both at Alinda. One is Greythorpe Garden, which is at 34 Fordyce Road in Alinda. That's spelt F-O-R-D-Y-C-E. As I said, uh, 1st and 2nd of February, 10 through to 4.30. And the other one, which is at 140 Falls Road in Alinda, which is Yungella. And uh, again, that same weekend, 1st and 2nd of February, 10 through till 4.30. But uh, do have a look at them, have a look at the photos, find out about all the, um, the uh, very uh, distinguishing features of those different gardens and uh, have a wander and have a look at a few gardens while uh, the 3CR Gardening Show is in recession. Yeah, well, we don't stop gardening, do we? No, we don't <laughs> stop gardening, that's for sure. We go harder. <laughs> <laughs> we do, we do. Meryl... Tell us what's been happening with Country Farm Perennials. I mean, you've just had, you've been opened with an open garden there for quite, over quite an extensive period of time. Just just about four weeks we had the garden. That's very brave of you. Oh, well, (laughs) we had to do it because of the weather Mm. (laughs) to try and get some nice days for people to be able to come in. It really has been an extraordinary spring and uh, for the four weekends that we were open it was foul weather all four weekends oh, no. <laughs> can you believe oh. it was either 
hailing, raining, blowing a gale, sleeting, <laughs> and on one occasion, even snowing. Oh, you're joking. <laughs> oh, dearie me. It was a, a bad run of weather, but nevertheless... People came from far and wide. Oh, isn't literally. that wonderful? We always run a, a lucky gate prize, right? Um, so that we draw out one person's voucher to win, you know, quite a substantial plant voucher. But we also have a prize for the long distance traveller, ah. and it goes to many different states each year. It's been to Tasmania, it's been to New South Wales, it's been to Queensland. Okay. We haven't, no, Stephen's one up to so. <laughs> yeah, we yeah, we haven't have. had any Northern Territory people yeah. as yet. Okay. Uh, uh, dear, yes, but, I did that at the opening. I was before we came to air. I was chatting uh, with you ladies, and we were talking about how the garden opening had gone at my place. And yes, I had a couple of people who went with me to Morocco at the last trip, who came down to Melbourne, and they linked in coming to the garden, which is really nice. You know, it's, yes. it, it's it gives you a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling if people have gone to some effort, even if they've come down for other reasons. Of course, yeah, but no, to sort of great. link in with your garden opening. So yes, yeah, and I did get some New Zealanders time. too. So uh, oh dear, yeah. next year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's starting to get quite competitive. But there you go. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, not a competition. It's no. not a competition. No, but no, it is lovely when fun. you get visitors from a long way away. It I, is. I always enjoy that. Uh, and they come and they stay for mm. quite a period. Yes. Not just the long distance visitors. Yes. Many people come and. Stay and they really enjoy the oh, garden. That's wonderful. Um, and we love doing it. We really, really yes. do. Welcoming people into the garden and sharing, you know, ideas about plants. And we always change it every year, you know, because I love experimenting with colour and flowers and foliage and texture and things. So, you know, our poor plants feel like they've been born with wheels attached because they're always <laughs> getting dug up and carted off to somewhere else. And we we change things around. We put in a whole new path through a sort of little woodland area this year and planted that, and that's going really successfully. Oh, so great. It's, it's fun to try new things, even though it's a very old established garden. You can really do lots of different things. And we had some storm damage with a couple of big trees. So oh, dear. So end of an era for those. Yes. Uh, but it has opened up some new sunny areas. Yay! As Stephen says, new opportunities. <laughs> yeah, new that's right, exactly. Yes, you should never look too negatively at anything that happens in the garden. You should always look for the positive side exactly, of things, I think. Exactly, yes. Um, yes, so it does. It creates new opportunities. And sometimes a tree has, I don't know, it's there because it's there. And, and if it's no longer there, it is actually quite a almost cathartic experience because you can start thinking about what you can put in. You know, yes. it could be something brand new that you've never grown before. You yes, know, so I've, I've got a new room challenge. for some new tree peonies, yeah. which I'm very excited yeah, about. So, yes, yeah, so all those things sort of come about. So, yeah, I'm, uh, if nature doesn't take its course, sometimes I look at things twice to think whether I shouldn't uh, sort of take a, uh, a hand in their demise occasionally. <laughs> just a little push. Yeah, just, a, just to give me but that, that chance. That big win came yeah. through yeah, the yeah, garden last right, night. Yeah. Big win. Although I have to say I was a bit disappointed just before our opening because I had a youngish but quite nice sized laburnum in full flower and that stinking hot Thursday we got, it rocked on its roots. Yes. And within hours it was basically dead. Yeah. And it just cracked the roots from underneath yes. it. And, you know, it was full of yellow bloom, looking absolutely gorgeous. And within hours, it was crispy brown. 
and mm. it had and to a come real out. centerpiece. Yeah. Well, it was, <laughs> it was. I can't. I think it's had a name change, but that Solanum rantantui or yes, whatever it's yes, called, yes. that big blue one. Um, it was in full bloom with this laburnum right next to it, with all its yellow cascading flowers, and I was feeling terribly smug and thought how gorgeous Your they looked together. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, it was all looking gorgeous, and then the laburnum went brown, and that does tend to change the sort <laughs> it's of look. Sort of, yeah, took yeah. the edge off the yeah, blue a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll have to find somewhere else to plant another laburnum now, because I am. Although they're only sort of short flowering things in a way. They are spectacular. They are beautiful and so I do enjoy them while they're in flower. Mm. Uh, I just wish they'd flower for a tad longer but yes. uh, they are a gorgeous little tree so I'll have to find somewhere to put another laburnum in. Uh, can't live without one. So, But one of the extraordinary things about this year because of the difference in the weather pattern we were incredibly late yeah. which for our garden opening was rather nice for people because we still had tulips and daffodils flowering when oh, we, goodness me, we yes. shouldn't have <laughs> by a long stretch yeah. but it was a completely different garden and mm. the laburnums just made it they were trying really hard <laughs> oh, I've got half a laburnum arch half a laburnum arch <laughs> <laughs> I only ever planted the right hand side so you never quite got to the other I never bit. got to yeah. the left hand side but it does look really lovely because with the yellow laburnums is the blue and yellow trick. Yeah. Bright, intense blue pulmonarias yeah. underneath it and lovely hellebores, beautiful planting underneath it. But that's usually all over by mm. the time people arrive mm-hmm. with, you know, hot pink tulips as well. We've got a little heuchera walk with um, tulips and, and the vividly coloured foliage of many of the new heucheras, and that looks stunning too when the tulips are out. And that's not normally there for people, but it was mm. this year. Oh, oh there you great. Go. Yeah, well, it is nice when you get that sort of change of seasons because uh, the only issue I have with those sorts of things where things are completely late or completely early or just completely unexpected uh, is, of course, if you've booked dates in advance, as we all do. I mean, we organise our dates for our garden openings a year in advance exactly, at least. Exactly, yes. Um, you can you can be expecting one thing and end up with something quite different at the at the same time of the year. So it, it can be quite exciting. But it um, can be exciting. Uh, we once opened for Australia's Open Garden Scheme, and they asked us if we would, you know, the the former incarnation mm. of it. They asked if we'd open particularly early in the season because we've got a lovely collection of daffodils mm. and some rare and and very old varieties. So yes, we were delighted to do that. Well, on the first day it snowed (laughs) (laughs) and the road was blocked Mm. and we did have, I think, six intrepid visitors who ploughed their way through the snow to get to us. So we took them inside and gave them hot coffee and scones and and all admired the daffodils under the snow. And then for the Sunday, because we were open the Saturday and the Sunday, the snow melted and the road flooded, so oh. we had no visitors that day. Oh, oh goodness Meryl. me. Yes, the, the trials and tribulations of garden opening can be... Yes. Yeah. I always figured that if I've got a date coming up, something will go wrong. <laughs> I had a tree fall down in our garden once about three days before an opening. Uh, a quite substantial old eucalypt came crashing down through the garden and... 
you go into a panic stage state when that happens. But anyhow, I got the tree surgeons in, they cut it up, they cleaned it up. You couldn't tell that it had been there when they'd finished. They were really good, these guys. Uh, and we just opened anyway and people, people, yeah. nobody noticed we'd had a tree come down in the middle of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and you had lots more light. <laughs> yeah, we did have a lot more light, yes. <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I haven't missed that tree since because it was a bit of an issue, that tree. It was always had a lean on it. It was always one that I was worried was going to come down. And so you were hesitant to plant too much around it because you had this sense that you were going to probably lose it at some point or another. So I was actually, in a sense, quite relieved it did come down, but I just wish it hadn't done it a few days before an opening. Um, That's always a bit of an issue. And I remember the opening we had one year when the wind was blowing so strongly that some of our trees were actually rocking on their roots. Oh, that's a worry. And And you have to shovel people out of the garden. Yeah, it was was a bit frightening. Um, And I think I'd opened that weekend with Neil Robertson. He was opening his place in New Brisbane. Right. And he did have a tree come down on the Chook House during the opening. Ah, oh, <laughs> so, poor Chooks. Yeah, so, yeah, so it, was, it was quite a, an awful weekend. So those things happen. But having said that, last weekend was fabulous. Yes, <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was yes. a really good weekend. Really good so we weekend. had a good opening. Everybody enjoyed themselves. The weather wasn't too hot. It wasn't windy. Uh, it didn't rain on everybody. Uh, no snow, funnily enough. <laughs> and, yeah, so the actual... Weather was very, very good to us mm, last yeah. weekend. Yeah, no, well, you're I'm amazed at how intrepid gardeners are because despite the foul weather, our, our numbers were up. Yeah. So people made their way well, anyway. Well, that's fantastic. It is, I yes, think when people yes. do make the decision they're going to go out and visit a garden, I think... They get on with it. They get on with it because, yeah. they, you know, that's just the way it is. Well, so they're used to gardening in all forms of weather, so yeah. it's yeah. not much and, different, And is what it? self-respecting gardener can whinge about rain, really? Well, <laughs> well there is that. There is that. I exactly. never whinge about rain. <laughs> no. Uh, dear. Okay, well, it's high time we opened up our, our uh, phones for talkback. Um, don't forget this is our second last show for the year, so um, do grab the opportunity to jump on the phones and give us a call, ask a gardening question. We've got both Steve and Ryan and Meryl Johnson in the studio this morning, so uh, fire away. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Um, a little note up there um, that Susie, who's doing the phones this morning, Meryl, saying that uh, she went to your open garden this oh. year and it was stunning. She oh, said. isn't that lovely? So there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the other the other thing she's reminded me of is that uh, yes, I did know Floral Legion was closing. I yes. think you told me about yes. six months ago, yeah. but it's finally some good book coming to an end. Happening. He's yes. selling off some great books yeah. at good yes. prices. But it's it sad, is the though, end of an yes. era. It is def- you know, after 30-odd yes. years of uh, trading in new and used books, it yeah. was going. And I don't think there's anybody filling that gap that I no. have heard about at this and point And not at that quality and level, mm. you know. He had just really interesting books on any sort of gardening subject mm. that you could possibly have wanted. And he sourced all these interesting things that you mm. had no idea were available. Yeah. And, and he was one of those people... Tre- yeah. It was a treacherous catalogue. You know. Well, it was. He thought, oh, yeah. I'll just buy one and ended up with six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Gil knew my taste in books too, so he'd ring me personally. <laughs> now, Stephen, and I have got arm. a set all, <laughs> yes. uh, and I think you really should have it. And he was right. Um, and, and sometimes thousands of dollars later, I had yes. this really lovely set of books. Yeah. Um, but you've loved ever since. Well, I have. I mean, I, I, I've never regretted any of the books no. I bought from Gil, although my bank 
account did for a while. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm still a fanatical book collector and I love um, interesting, particularly old gardening books. So I'm always on the lookout for really old gardening books and I just yes. love them. And so, yeah, I've got quite a, quite a reasonable collection of them now and a lot of them came via him. Yes. So, uh, the illustrations in the old books can be mm. so lovely. Yeah. Well, we ended up with a set of, I think it was four years' worth of Curtis's um, magazines from England, which is the oldest continuous horticultural magazine in the world. And Curtis, I think, came out four times a year or something like that. And we, we ended up with some bound volumes of it that had actually belonged to the predecessors of Prince Charles at Highgrove. Uh, they're stamped with Highgrove in, inside. So they obviously come originally from that. Right. property yep. uh, and that was another one of those things where Gil said look I've got these things you should have <laughs> um, so yes yeah, so I bought them and they're stunning and of course Curtis is one of those places uh, that uh, has championed botanic art uh, ever since it started so it always has beautiful colour plates and things in it yeah. um, and it's often of plants that at the time were new to cultivation yes, which is really fascinating to read about you know this new gladioli that's coming from South Africa or whatever what, what the sensation of the yeah. year was. Um, <laughs> and, and sometimes the sort of uh, misinformation that was being put in about a new plant because they really didn't know. Didn't understand Yeah, they didn't it. really understand it mm. at the time. Um, and they're fascinating. I read the Curtis's cover to cover, even though there was, you know, a number of plants in there that weren't things that I was specifically interested in. It was still interesting reading about them. Yeah. So I love all that stuff. So it is it's sad that Gil is closing shop, but I guess we all have to consider these things at some point in our lives. That's right. Yeah. And, and we wish him a very happy retirement. Yes. Oh, and absolutely. lots of fun. Yes, yeah, yes. Absolutely. Well, hopefully and his good wife will enjoy their retirement and go out and do some stuff. And mm. yeah, Because I know, well, all of us know if we're locked to a, um, a, a business, um, there's all those commitments you've got to fulfil, so you, you can't Your just... Your calendar gets very full for the year, it I find. It does, <laughs> yes. So, yes, so you've just got to manage things. So retirement can be a nice thing to do. So, uh, But, uh, yeah, hopefully there'll be a bookshop out there somewhere that will take up the... Oh, the I really hope so, yeah. yes. Because we do need good horticultural books being supplied out there, and it would certainly be nice if it was one that was actually doing a bit of publishing like Gil used to do too, because yes. some of his um, works that he actually published were fantastic. Were that, amazing. That book on Brugmansey oh, was just... Yes. incredible. An incredible feat. Yes, yes. You know, yes. So what a treasure to... Mm. You know, have given. Yep. Have so yes, yeah, so it'd be nice if we saw some more printing going on out there as well. Yep. So yeah. So if anybody's interested in some reasonably uh, inexpensive but fantastic books, now might be a good time to help Gil clean out the, his sort of stock. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So. Right. Christmas presents. <laughs> yes. <laughs> on the list. Stephen, let's make a start on some of your plans. All right. Uh, now, I did send Liz the images yesterday, so well they should be up on Facebook. She did yep. sort of thank me at some point yesterday afternoon. So uh, so the images of these plants should be up on our Facebook page if people want to go in and have a look at it so that they can actually see what these things look like. I can't remember what order I put them up on Facebook, so I suppose it doesn't matter what order I talk about It them. doesn't matter. Um, but uh, one plant that I brought along today, which I, I have a soft spot for variegated plants. Some people don't like them, some people hate them in fact um, I quite like variegated plants I think they're um, the novelty of them and I don't know there's just something sort of cheeky and vulgar and fun about some variegates but some variegated plants should never be allowed out of the compost heap um, <laughs> because they're wussy pointless 
wheat growers, wheat growers uh, often with, with poor variegation that doesn't stand out, so there's absolutely no point. Or reverts very quickly. Or, yes, things that problem. do revert, which can be a problem, especially if it's a largish growing plant. And you've got half green and half Oh, speckled. that's a yeah, pain, that, isn't uh, it? That variegated... Um, um, Lophomertus, the not Lophomertus, variegated. Um, uh, what was Tristania conferta, whatever they call it now? It's funny, I've got this complete mental block. But that variegated one of that grows into a big tree. It was very sp- striking variegation, but very unstable. And you rarely saw one that wasn't half green. Yeah, uh, and yes. just an absolute waste of time. If it's a small bush or something smaller that gets the odd reversion in it, that doesn't you worry can, me. Yeah, because I don't have to climb a ladder to deal to with it. Prune it out. Yeah. yeah. So, but most variegated plants, you do have to keep an eye on. There's, there's always the chance that things will revert to green, and the green is nearly always more vigorous than the it's variegated. Going to grow quicker. So you will lose eventually your variegation. Now, the plant I bought in is a case in point. It will revert slightly, uh, but it's not madly reversion, reversion prone um, and it was an abutilin oh. and it was a butylin pictum variety Thompson eye a couple of the and I haven't gone into the details yet to work out what's happened but uh, Q has decided that some of the abutilins need to be taken out oh. of the abutilin and this is one of them as is abutilin megapotamicum the oh. gorgeous little red and yellow yeah. one yes, that we all yes. know, which thing. also throws a variegated form, which is all yes. mottly and what have you. Um, they're now both, and I'm assuming some of the other abutilins, but as I said, I haven't gone in to do the research yet, uh, are now in a new genus called Kellyanthi. Oh. So this is Kellyanthi Picta, Thompson I now, and it's a shrub couple of metres tall, can be quite leggy, so a fair bit of pruning is required to make it compact. Um, and it has the most incredible mottled gold variegation in it. Uh, and if it's in a semi-shaded spot, it looks like the sun shining in from somewhere. Yes. So I find it quite cheery. Mm. Uh, it does get quite spectacular flowers, but the foliage is so bright and cheery that you actually don't notice the flowers. I bet the birds find them. Oh, yeah, yeah the I'm birds will find birds them. Love uh, them. And the flowers are sort of a, a fairly rich orange with almost red veining through the petals, which is quite... Quite spectacular, but as I said, in its green form, the flowers are quite obvious, but in its variegated form, they tend to hide a bit. Um, and as Merrill mentions, the birds love abutilins or calianthes, apparently. Uh, and um, so they're great plants to have in the garden for bird attracting plants. Uh, they flower for months and months and months on end. In fact, the little megapotamicum one seems to n- never, never stop. Yeah, it just Our goes on. Birds just adore it. Yeah, yeah, it just goes on and on and on. So they're a great group of plants. Um, um, uh, believe it or not, the petals are edible, uh, if you're so inclined. Uh, if you like to frighten people who are used to having an iceberg lettuce, um, <laughs> then, then throw... Bright orange bits yes. of lettuce. Yes. In yes. Yes. Throw some petals in. Actually, my favourite one, though, I have done a little bit of taste testing on the abutilin complex, I'll call it, seeing as there's now a couple of genera involved, um, is the pure white boulderneige. Which is a common shrub. Common variety, lovely white flowers, often with slightly blackish stems, which I think yeah, really, really shows sets it, it off well. And very dark green yeah. leaves. And its flowers are delicious. Well, there you go. So there you go. Begonias are yummy too. They're very sweet. Yeah, yeah. so there you go. There's a lot of things we could be eating that we don't. Uh, doesn't mean we have to, of course. But no. no yeah. But it's, it's sort of fun <laughs> to know you can. If you're a bit can. short on the salad bowl. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yes, you can know what you else can you rip can throw out in. Just <laughs> make sure it is edible. Yes, yes yeah. please do. Yeah, some people do. Actually, I get annoyed if I go into a restaurant and I say they've used something as a garnish that isn't actually edible. Yes. I get really annoyed about that. I encountered that quite recently. Yeah, it happens yes. quite a bit. I'm waiting for somebody to put oleander on the top of something <laughs> oh. as a garnish. 
financial no, matters. No, no, no. Uh, well, it could happen if they don't realise that something is not edible uh, or they're not even worrying about the fact that something's not edible and they're putting it on as a garnish. Um, who's to say, if they don't know what they're doing, that something actually quite poisonous could end up on the top exactly. of a, a, a yes. dish as a and garnish? Exactly, And a lot of plants that are very common in the garden, people don't realise are indeed poisonous. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Although, as I point out to those who worry about everything maybe being poisonous, is that one does have to consume it first as a rule. Yes, that's <laughs> right. It doesn't <laughs> leave, so it doesn't leave out at you and poison you. Um, so, you know, so most plants have to be consumed before they're a problem. So all you need to do is make sure you know which ones you can do that with. Or, or just adopt the rule, don't eat anything unless yeah. you're... Well, I, I regularly get people worrying certain. about berries, of course, because they think of their children and picking berries and eating berries and all that sort of stuff, and if they're poisonous berries. And So I can sort of understand the mental processes going on there. But, I mean, as a kid, I used to shove all sorts of stupid things in my mouth, I, and, and I'm still here. Yeah. Uh, and, and as I point out to most people, most poisonous berries, and there aren't that many berries that are actually seriously poisonous. It's often flowers or foliage or roots, roots. or something else. Um, but most of them taste dreadful. Yes, so if for a, ki- a reason. Yeah, and yes. so if a kid puts a, a berry in its mouth and but crunches down on it, uh, if it's something that shouldn't be eaten, they'll probably know immediately. And uh, spit it out. Yeah, and look, even if they swallow one, uh, most of these things you need to take in some quantity before yes. you're actually giving a yourself a problem. Yeah, you're really yeah. So I think people get a little over worried about these things. And not many toddlers graze like that, you no. know. Mm. Given Given... A choice between an ice cream or an aconitum, which are they going to eat? Of course they are. And I guess the the other thing with it is, too, that it is a learning experience for children. You know, they they need to be engaging with nature in both its its benign forms and its less than benign forms so that they actually grow up understanding things, too. If you completely protect children from everything, they're actually not going to grow up knowing what they should or shouldn't do. And they will think chocolate milk comes from brown cows. (laughs) You know, so, you know, so. You do need to, and and look, if I was walking the garden with a small child, I'd say to them, well, look, I wouldn't touch that plant, and I'd explain why. Um, You know, that plant might give you a rash or it's got poisonous berries or whatever, Um, and it's a learning experience for them. Of course. And those who go out and do things on their own, that's also a learning experience for them and perhaps not a very good idea. But, uh, yeah, so anyhow, this abutilin is now a calianthi, apparently, Um, and I'm going to go home and do the research at some point and find out how many of the things I'm growing as abutilins are now no longer abutilins. But certainly the two that I grow, this one and the uh, Megapotamicum, uh, have both been pulled out and put into Calianthi. And that really is a very speckly variegation, isn't it? It is. I, it's, I it's love variegated plants. Good. I'm glad that we're on the same page oh, no, there, no, Mel, because no, no. there's a few like other commentators who come in here that aren't very fond of variegation. <laughs> well, because I've got a lot of big trees, I have to find things that will light up shady areas. Yes, and of a course. a lot of variegated plants... It will do that. that. It yes. does help to put a sparkle into the dark oh, yes. areas. Yes. But I'm I'm more fond of stripey, oh, yes, yes. striped variegations I really like. I'm having a love affair at the moment with Polygonatum Solomon yeah. Seals because there's some beautiful yes, lovely white variegated. Yeah. variegated varieties and they're so tough and they can really stand up to the competition of, of roots mm-hmm. from big old trees and, and do a great job. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so anyhow, I think very, I like variegation as long as it isn't wussy variegation. Yes, Can't it's got to it be as, full on. Yes, yes, yes. It, it needs to sort of have conviction. Don't be half-hearted. <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, but you do see some variegates. There was where was I? I? Can't remember where I was. I was 
interstate, I think, somewhere, and I went into a little nursery, uh, and they had a variegated Nandina. And it was the most disgustingly awful plant I think I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I struggle with Nana, the little dwarf one, because it looks like it's had a holiday at Chernobyl, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> uh, with those dreadful wrinkly leaves. Yes, and it, yes. it just looks diseased, as far as I'm concerned. But this thing, and I can't remember what the, the cultivar name was, it had the wussiest pinky white patches, just little patches in different mm. spots on the leaves. And it was just such a non-event. I thought, why would you bother? You know, it's... It was but just ordinary. Speaking of pink on leaves, I mean, who can't just absolutely love a tricoloured beach? Oh, you stand the, under one of those with the light with shining. With the light coming through, and the it's pink edges on the leaves are just stunning. Yeah. Well, We've got the most beautifully shaped uh, copper beach in our garden. It's fairly small grower, or at least it's still smallish at the moment. Yes. And it's called Daywick Purple. Oh, very yes. compact, mm. very dark. Um, burgundy leaf to it, and when the sun shines through that, absolutely stunning. But oh, the tricolour beach, yeah, tricolour beach is a variegation that I adore. Absolute uh, favourite. I actually took some people through a garden up on Mount Macedon recently, and they've got one that'd be I don't know, forty feet tall or something at tricolour beach. Wow, that's and we, a good And specimen. we stood underneath it when the sun was shining through it, and they were all gobsmacked. Even those people who don't like variegations, and we, funnily enough, have yeah, a few in our yeah. But that's a discreet and subtle variegation. Mm. It's not full in your face. No, <laughs> no, but it is. It's a lovely tree. I'm very fond of it. So anyhow, so there we go. There's a variegate. Will I move on? Um, I'll just give out the phone number. Oh yes, again, what a good Stephen. idea. Yep, yeah, yeah. Because uh, as I mentioned before, this is the second last program we're doing for this mm, year. The penultimate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so if you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning We'd love to hear from you Do jump on the phones and give us a call We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot The number is 94190155 If you want to have a chat to Stephen or Merrill, Or we have Emma on the outside line this morning So if you'd like to have a chat to Emma The number is 94198377 Okay, Stephen, let's All move right. on. All right, well, I'll talk about this little miniature tree. Um, this is a dwarf sorbus, or rowan. Oh, um, I love sorbus. I do too. I've got a great soft spot for them. And this is one called sorbus reducta, uh, which is a fairly appropriate name for something that only grows to about 30 or 40 centimetres tall. It's so a very small tree. It is a very small tree. Um, but it is a true rowan. And as those of you who have perhaps a Scottish background will know, that rowans keep witches away as long as you plant a pair of them on either side of your path. Yep. They won't walk between them. Right. Very small witches might not walk between these. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bigger ones will just jump over. Yeah, they'll just jump over them. Um, <laughs> it's a little gnarly shrub, and it's ideal as a pot plant. It makes a very good rock garden subject. It would make a good bonsai plant. Yes. Uh, there's lots of ways you could use this little tiny sorbus. Now, like most of the genus, in fact, I think the whole genus is deciduous. Its foliage colours prettily in the autumn before it sheds. It gets little white blossoms in the spring, and this one I bought in is thrown a few out-of-season blossoms on it, so it's got the classical little white flowers in clusters, and it also gets clusters of berries on it, and in the case of Sorbus reducta, they're a sort of a deep pinkish colour. So you get pink berries, white flowers, good autumn foliage, and an interesting little gnarly bush that you can even make more gnarly with a little bit of judicious pruning, so you can sort of create a a sculptural effect with it. Reasonably hardy. I mean, it won't like 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly in no. the western suburbs of Melbourne, probably. But um, it's a reasonably easy plant to grow. And because it's a little tiny dwarf shrub, and, there's, and it's not a dwarfed form, it's a natural species. So it's, a, it's one that's come from, a, I assume, a fairly northerly 
area in Europe, so it probably comes from close to the Arctic tundra region where everything becomes miniaturised. Everything's got to yeah. hug the ground yeah. to stay out of the wind. Yeah, so yeah. there's birches that grow up there and willows and all sorts of things that grow in those areas that are all miniature species. But um, proper trees. But proper trees. And this one comes in two basic forms. There is a suckering form that will end up as a thicket, um, and there's this form which tends to keep a single trunk and make a little tiny branchy shrub. Um, so I just think it's an interesting novelty. It's something that, you know, even in a small garden you can have a rowan tree. And well, I love rowans mm-hmm. for that reason. They're mm-hmm. a compact tree. Yeah, even the big ones are not great big trees. No, they're not big trees. Mm-hmm. They're small trees even mm-hmm. on their tippy toes. Yeah. But beautiful foliage. We've got one in the garden that has a silver back to the oh, leaf. Yes, and when it rustles in the breeze, it's absolutely beautiful. It flickers mm. with light yeah. all the time. But I think there are four seasons of value because of those corums of white flowers. They're very attractive in the spring. Berries, again, mm. in the autumn, very prettily shaped foliage, like series of ladders, yep. and lovely textures yep. to the, the leaves. So and they, they're an underutilised genus in this country. You don't especially see because many. of their compact size. Yeah. Yes. yes, I think they're a, a, a group that people tree. should um, revisit again. They don't seem to be ha- have particularly aggressive root systems. Um, and they're think, not uh, water hungry. No, no, they don't mind getting a little on the dry side once they're established, so uh, you don't have to keep pumping water into them. No. Um, and, yeah, I, I just think rowans are lovely. So I thought a miniature rowan would be a fun thing to discuss this morning because uh, if you look around, you can actually find miniature species in a huge number of what we would generally consider willows tr- trees. Yeah, lots of willows. There's miniature birches. There's miniature elms. There's, there's all sorts of things that have miniature versions of. Um, so you can still have those iconic plants. Ginkos are great yeah. for miniatures. Yeah, there's some gorgeous new miniature mm. ginkos out yeah, there. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so look out for some of these plants because I think they are really worthwhile considering, mm. uh, particularly if they are sort of multiple performers. So if they have good foliage, good flowers, good fruit, um, what more could you want, really? Exactly. exactly. And an interesting shape if they're yeah. deciduous in the winter. Yeah, and I do like silhouettes in the winter. I, I think too. a lot of people come in and they say, oh, I want evergreens, I need evergreens. And I'm saying, well... Do you really need evergreens? Oh, yes, but deciduous trees are so messy. And no, then they'll they're buy not. a eucalypt. Yeah, <laughs> messy 12 months of yeah, the year. Exactly, <laughs> you know. And, and, of course, the, the thing with most deciduous trees is that they shed all in one fell swoop, so it all happens within a fairly short time. And most of them have foliage that is... Compostable. Yeah, yeah right down provision. really oh, compost. Yes, yeah. uh, I mean, plane trees might be one of the few exceptions to that rule. But Pin oaks are a bit tough too. Yeah, pin, pin oaks take a while <laughs> to dis- disintegrate. But the vast majority of deciduous plants, their leaves rot really quickly yes. and turn into fantastic compost. And because we live in southern Australia where we have four seasons, albeit sometimes in one day, um, it's nice to sort of engage with the season. So if a it garden is. is completely evergreen, then you don't have that, that sense, sense of change. But I love the deciduous trees because of what you can have underneath them. Mm. Because all of those lovely bulbs and winter flowering perennials, exactly. etc. Mm. They are spectacular but mm. they cannot do it underneath evergreen. No, no. So you do need to have that sort of canopy above them. And so yes, I do love deciduous plants. Uh, and so would always opt for a, 
my main specimen trees in a garden to be deciduous. Mm. Uh, I don't mind some evergreens along boundaries so that I can hide my nefarious activities from my next door neighbour. <laughs> uh, so that's fine. Uh, but generally speaking, most of my major trees I'd like to see as deciduous in a it garden. It does give you so many opportunities. Oh, and, and it lets the winter light in. Oh, you know, yes. It can and get very drear. shade in the yeah. summer. Yeah. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, so, you know, some of my favourite trees in the garden at home are my larger deciduous trees. Mm. And some of my trees now, after 30 years in the garden, are starting to get comparatively large. Yes, I'm starting yes, to get likewise. quite a few biggish Big trees. Ones. Yep. And, and it's rather fun, yep. you know, to stand under something and look up and think, I put that in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Yes, when we first started, our ambition was to have a tree that was taller than us. We have succeeded. (laughs) Possibly beyond your expectations (laughs) in some cases. (laughs) Okay, let's go to our first caller and we have uh, Jill in East Malvern. Morning, Jill. Good morning, Alan, Stephen and Lady from Merrill. Yes, um, I'm going to uh, put... More, I've got a compost bin that's almost full. It's in north and west sun. Mm-hmm. And I put um, a big bag of, of uh, improved soil, you know, with um, uh, grains of manure and things through it. And I'm planning going, I've got three uh, frames, vertical frames, and I'm going to plant three big tomatoes in there on Monday. So what Ooh. do you think? Mm. Well, it, on top it, of that... Well, the compost um, is mostly rotted down. There's some that's a bit green, but then I'll have two bags of this sort of improved soil on yeah. top. Sounds like a good move. In fact, whilst there's still some rotting happening underneath, the there'll be a bit of warmth there. Yes. Uh, and the tomatoes will probably revel in it. Yeah, well, I'm hoping so. Yeah. Now, the other thing I wanted to say is I've been trying to propagate the pink um, Chinese no, a butylon, mm. and oh, it's really tough. I can't, you know, it takes, it seems to die off yeah. um, before it it has any roots. Even putting it into, um, you know, a pot with a little bit of water in the bottom doesn't seem to help. Well, maybe that's the wrong thing to do. Mm. A butylon in general. It, yeah. And a... they say, oh, you oh, can't buy that. Can we have a cutting? And I haven't been successful in three years, so yes. there you go. Well, some, most abutilins are comparatively straightforward and comparatively easy to strike. Um, so uh, I generally put them in as semi-hardwood cuttings or even softwood cuttings if you've got a misspray or some sort of system mm. like that. I find most of them strike within a matter of... Yes. two or three weeks yes. uh, and I'd be really surprised if certainly with my facilities I couldn't strike the pink one quite easily because uh, I don't think it's that much more difficult in general than the other varieties of a butylin. Um which, which time of year would you advise? I'd be, I'd be putting a butylin cuttings in fairly soon actually Yes. Uh, as comparatively soft cuttings if you haven't got a misspray system or something like that then I'd put a bell jar or a bag over them or something to keep the humidity around the cuttings um, Oh yeah but that, that's what I would be using. Um, and oh, uh, I was actually you. looking at some of my plants of that ilk, not necessarily abutilins, but some of those sort of types of plants the other day, thinking 
any minute now I need to start getting stuck in and get the cuttings in of a lot and of these things. Especially after this warm weather that we're going to have because that'll toughen them up a bit yep, and the cuttings be a will harder. be yep. just so, ready in the next few weeks. Yeah, so it, in theory it shouldn't be any harder to strike Jill than any of the other abutilins, I don't believe. I think you've just been a bit stiff and you perhaps haven't put them in at quite the right time. Um, yes, I may have been a bit early and, and the white one is just so easy to, yeah. to yes. uh, propagate. You know, I've done that lots of times. And can I ask another question, sure, please? Sure, sure. Um, I've, I've got... Um, oh, God, I've really, lost, I've really lost the plot now. I must be getting old. <laughs> no, it's just <laughs> early in the morning. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll thank you for trying to bolster my... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to say that on the 10th and the 11th of October next year, the Herb Society is having a conference, and it'll be based at Burnley... And um, that's over that weekend. And then we'll be having um, three days of tours um, out of Melbourne, you know, with uh, a couple of days doing things in Melbourne, you know, to go to gardens and so on. And so I thought, well, people need to know the advance notice to save up for such a thing. We haven't got a price at this point because we haven't done all the costings yet, but that'll be happening, you know, in February we'll be announcing that and having publications and so on. But I just thought, well, I'll tell people about the 10th and the 11th now because then they can book that in as, a, as something for their calendar. Fantastic. What, what month is it, Jill? October. October. Okay. Okay. Well, they've got plenty of notice. Yeah, it's great fun <laughs> to do those conferences. And I'm sure I'll be prompting, and you know, we'll have advertising in appropriate journals and yep. Royal Horticultural and all the rest of it. But you know, excellent. You okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for thanks. that. That's great. Thanks, Pam, very much. Okay thanks, then. Stephen. Bye. Bye. Right, that number again, uh, 94190155 to speak to Stephen or Merrill, or if you'd like to have a chat to Emma on the outside line, 94198377. Um, Stephen, we should just quickly tell um, listeners that your um, your trip to Normandy oh, yes, is the, now fully booked. Yes, the trip to Normandy in June next year for Australians studying abroad is, is full. Um, if people were still interested, they could put themselves on a wait list, but there's no guarantee, obviously, that they no. get on. Um, but, yeah, it's always nice when a tour fills up nicely. So, And I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's uh, I've done the Normandy part of the tour many times before and I love Normandy. I think it's a gorgeous so part beautiful. of France. Oh, yes. oh, it's just so beautiful. And so fertile. Yeah. Yes. It's everywhere you look it's green and there's yes, water. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. All the things we don't beautiful see here very valleys. often. Dreams and, running through yeah, the gardens. Yeah. 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 So, um, <laughs> but normally that tour was Normandy and the Loire Valley. Uh, this time around we've swapped it around a wee bit and we're doing Normandy and Brittany and I haven't done Brittany as a tour before so I'm looking forward to it so it mm. should be good fun. So it's there'll be Brittany's a series. beautiful. And there'll be a series of gardens so there. I haven't seen and all that. So mm. there's something in the next trip for me as well, which is yeah. quite good, exciting. Good. So so that one's filled up. Um, but as I say, you could go on a wait list if you were determined to see if you can get on board. Um, and certainly the bookings are now open for the tour I'm doing next October um, to Chile, where we'll be going from the Atacama Desert down to Patagonia. So we'll be covering most of the sorts of territory that you can possibly see. A lot of different yeah. plants. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, the Atacama Desert is certainly a bizarre and interesting place to go. Not that 
has got huge numbers of plants, but just the scenery is just amazing. So some spectacular natives there, yeah. though. They're so architectural. Yeah, yeah. Marvelous and place. I like the salt lakes and the flamingos personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Patagonia is. Yeah. Sensational. Yeah. So, if anybody's interested, mind you, no, like, none of the plants are very tall. No, they're no. very well. Short. It's very handy if you're pruning. But um, you don't have to climb ladders, as no, you, you know. No, no, no. I was told once you got past fifty, you're not meant to. <laughs> <laughs> not that that's ever stopped me. But anyhow, um, so yes, yeah, so the Chilean and Patagonian tour is open. If people are interested, they could go on to the Australian Studying Abroad website. And as far as I can remember, you can either bring up the tour you're looking for by the country of origin, or you can bring up the tour by the tour leader so you could type my name in and my tours would come up uh, or you could go in and check out the Chilean tour uh, and I guess just to give people a heads up the following year Craig and I are off to Spain to do the gardens of Spain so, okay. mm. um, so that'll be in the following year so if people are interested they might like to go in and I think the I think the itinerary is up on the website now for the Spanish tour as well. Um, so, you know, sort of consider that. And I have to say I was disappointed that we had to cancel the Madagascan trip last year due to lack of bookings. Um, I am hoping that ASA that will let me... That was this year, Stephen. That was this year. That's true. Yeah, well, it, it's almost <laughs> sort last of feels year. feels like. Yeah. Hey, you, you got to go to New York instead. Well, I did get to go to New York instead, so there was things I enjoyed out of not having gone to um, <laughs> Madagascar. But I am hoping that ASA will uh, offer that tour again year after next. So yes. uh, we haven't actually talked about it yet, but I guess if people are interested and they started ringing ASA and saying that they'd they like to go to Madagascar... Oh, they consider it because yeah. you'd normally only take about 14 participants yeah. Yeah, to that got, one. It's a so very small tour. Yeah. The problem with it is it's a small tour, but we've got to almost fill it to make it pay. Make, that's right, yeah. even. Yeah. yeah, so there's not a lot of leeway in it. Uh, and so if you don't get past a critical mass and close to the actual number you can take, yeah, then it's then it's, it, it tends to get cancelled, which is yes. sad because I love taking people to Madagascar and it's such a remarkable country. And, so, and important to go before it disappears, uh, basically. And look, it's, there's, there's so much devastation going on in that country at the moment. Uh, the dry... Um, uh, some deciduous forests in the northwest area are, are being cleared in vast quantities to plant bloody peanuts for the Chinese. Oh. And it's... Yeah. Goodbye, little animals and birds. It's just awful. It is just truly awful. I mean, there's lots of people trying to uh, hold back this issue in Madagascar, but, of course, like most third-world countries where people are... you know, subsistent. Exactly. Um, they're just trying to make a living. Um, you they're know, a few lemurs don't mean anything no, to them. No, no, getting right. food for their children. Yeah. yeah. So it is. It's very sad. But this, some of the national parks are just stunning, and it's still worth going. And there are lots of animals. We can guarantee animal sightings. I mean, I don't know how many of you have had overseas visitors, and you've rushed around trying to find a damn koala. Uh, <laughs> Uh, they always seem to hide when you've got uh, overseas visitors coming. Uh, and where are all those kangaroos you normally see every day? You know, they all seem to disappear when you have visitors. At least lemurs and chameleons are really good as far as making visitations are concerned because lemurs tend to be inquisitive, so they'll come looking for you uh, as often as not. And the chameleons and, don't move. Yeah, they much. just stay there. <laughs> so, so they and change colour. Yeah, and and rock long, backwards and forwards. Yeah, as long as you've got your eye in looking for them, you can be, you can be pretty confident that you can find people chameleons and lemurs uh, and I think the last trip we went on I think we saw 16 species of lemurs which mm. is pretty impressive that's good you know and yeah. I think we saw the smallest right through the largest of the chameleons uh, we also saw the fusa which is the largest carnivore in Madagascar which is a rare creature to see in in nature because it's 
it's uh, arboreal, nocturnal and solitary which all three things don't make it easy to see one of those <laughs> things. Uh, but we did. We saw some fusil, which I had not managed to see in all my trips to Madagascar until the last last time across. So, yeah, so it is. It's an interesting place. So, mm. yeah, maybe you should all think about it and sort of get on to ASA and say, we'll put our name down, get Stephen going back to Madagascar again. Uh, I certainly know that the operators over there would love to see us. Yes, they need it. They need it. Oh, yep. they need it badly. Sure. Uh, and all those... Nice guides who are out there trying to lead people around the forests and find animals for them. I mean, they struggle to make a living. Uh, yes, and and that's the pressure that's needed to try and save that mm. environment. Mm. Because as we said, people are just trying to feed their children exactly. by cutting down the forest. We've got to give them an alternative. Mm. Exactly. exactly. So there you go. So that's what yep. I'm up to. Yep. And I believe your two as Meryl uh, <laughs> are pretty well booked up for the next two years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's always, as Stephen was saying, it's very much worthwhile going onto a waiting list because things happen. Yeah, yeah for people, people have a health issue it, or yeah, something or goes wrong. Daughters have babies is a really common yeah. activity. Yeah. And many things cause people to have to cancel, you know, their business has changed or they they're selling the house suddenly or daughters having baby all sorts of things happen for people so we always do churn through mm. a fair degree of waiting list mm. it's well yeah. worth being on the waiting list mm. but meryl for for 2022 <laughs> <laughs> yes do you, do you have a list of tours up yet oh yes yes we do no, so if people go to the website yes uh, or they can just phone us just or phone email us and okay. we can send them um, further detail. We don't put the full itineraries up on... Yeah, oh, no, they do. Yes, yes. But, uh, no, it's it's all happening. We're off to... Well, in, not next year, the year after. We're back to Japan. We're giving Japan a rest next year because the Olympics are on. Oh, of course. And uh, everything, the prices are just going oh, through yeah, the roof. Oh, no, so yeah, steer clear. Steer, <laughs> steering clear of Japan next year. But the following year, we're back to Japan, which is one of my favourite destinations, sensational gardens, wonderful people, beautiful countryside and a culture that is gobsmackingly different yes. and <laughs> interesting. And it's a place where you bump into a fellow gardeners well, like you and I indeed. bumped into each other in the middle of Japan. Around the Christmas tree. <laughs> How extraordinary. It was extraordinary. But uh, very excitingly, we're off to the Caucasus Mountains, so Georgia and Uzbekistan and all sorts of interesting starny places mm. for wildflowers which are sensational yep. up there and breathtaking scenery and again culture that's just so different and yep. interesting it's an eye opener yeah yep. so lots of interesting things but on a on a more domestic nature we're off to new zealand volcanoes absolutely excluded from the itinerary <laughs> yes. good bad yes <laughs> no volcanoes uh, so off to New Zealand and off to Cornwall and all sorts of interesting places. Wonderful. Great fun. Now, for listeners who don't know, can you please give out the website and your phone number? Yes, certainly. So phone number, first of all, is 0356284202. And website, providing you can spell, is quite <laughs> easy also. It's just country farm perennials, all one word, all lowercase, with the usual W's in front, of course. 
and uh, just remember how to spell perennials. But anyway, even yeah, if you some just people get, get the wrong combination. They know of there's a double yeah, letter in there somewhere. <laughs> if you just put in country farm P E R, stop yeah, there, you'll yeah, be all right. Yeah, it'll come up. <laughs> it'll come up. Yeah. That's right. Yes, perennial is one of those words that does trip people. It does yeah. indeed. Mm. <laughs> okay, we'll go to our next caller. We have uh, Jenny in Mont Albert. Good morning, Jenny. Oh, good morning. Yes. Good morning. Yeah. What I'm ringing about is I have a climbing rose. It's about seven years old, I think. And it's, uh, excuse my French, but Pierre de Ronsard. Yes, yes. he's done well. <laughs> and I thought you were actually going to swear then, but anyhow. <laughs> 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 no. and it, it, yeah, it has, you know, oh, hundreds of flowers. But this year what's happened is I was happened a tiny bit before, uh, before the flower opened, they've gone a bit like brown around the edges and then it doesn't it's have that really deep yes. pink. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's only, I've just now, this week, I've seen about oh, a couple with some beautiful deep pink, but oh, I don't, what would have happened, do you think? It, it's called balling. It's very mm-hmm. common on roses that are extremely double and cupped mm-hmm. in their petal formation, and it's mm-hmm. entirely due to the weather. Um, mm. if, if there's been a lot of wetness, dampness, it doesn't even have to be rain, just moisture in the air, which we have had if you've had any sort of a spring like we've had, and all mm. that moisture just gets trapped in between you know, those multi-packed layers yeah. of petals, and basically it just rots. So oh. there's not, it's not a real problem. I mean, it's unsightly. You can yeah. chop them off. The next round of flowers will come. And after this week, we probably won't have to worry about that moisture oh. problem anymore. <laughs> yes, there won't be any balling on the roses. No, there. no, oh, they'll no, be all no. nice and clean. But yeah. there are certainly a number of varieties probably like Pierre d'Oronsart yes, and, and others that, that do that. And susceptible to yeah, it. There's nothing you can do yeah, about no, it. No, no. Oh, and yeah, it just doesn't look as magnificent as it usually does. It's really a beautiful rose normally. And I just thought, oh, it's such a shame it hasn't got that beautiful colour. Mm, yeah. Yes. No, there's nothing yeah. you've done wrong. There's nothing oh, to be done cool. about it. Just cut mm-hmm. off the unsightly ones mm-hmm. and wait for the mm-hmm. next round of flowers. Mm-hmm. And when the weather's dry, when the atmosphere is drier, they'll be absolutely mm-hmm. fine and back to mm-hmm. normal. Oh, good. Okay. All right. Oh, well, that's good to know. Yes, it, it's always <laughs> nice to know it's not your fault. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and if it really worries you, you can grow varieties that the petals are self emptying, if you see what okay. I mean. The, the Pierre de Ronsard is so cupped and so full of petals, the excess moisture can't get out of the flower. But some other varieties have a sort of little gap at the base of the petals and the yeah. water can get out and that oh, balling yeah. doesn't happen. But yeah, Pierre de Ronsard's yeah. so lovely, um, yeah. I would just persevere and enjoy You'll the have next your good round. And your That's right. Yes, exactly. Like tomatoes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and and do yeah, have a look at some of Pierre de Ronsard's poetry too. He was a, a French poet from the 1500s with a very tragic life, but he oh, wrote the most oh. beautiful love poetry and he was very keen about flowers and gardening. So, wonderful poetry mm. for gardeners. No, I haven't. I did not realise he was a poet. So I will yeah, have a look poem. at Pierre de Ronsard yeah. poetry on the internet. Oh, Lovely good. stuff. Okay. Yes, I will. All right. Okay. Um, oh, just quickly, one other little thing you mentioned yes. while flowers. I was just saying, if anyone loves 
hoping it was. So I was off just on the three Cape walk in Tasmania oh, last week. Yeah, and the flowers were just stunning. We couldn't get over how beautiful mm. they were. If you love looking at wildflowers, it's the perfect time down there. Well um, done, you. Great. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. yes, and you survived so, it, which is a, is a great thing as well. Yes, yes. Well, the last day, I so many steps. We weren't expecting so many steps, but it was still fantastic. We made it. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. Thank okay. You. Well, thanks for that, okay. Jenny. Bye. All right, bye. Uh, just a reminder, we are running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to jump on the phone and give us a, a call, uh, we do have Stephen Ryan and Meryl Johnson in the studio this morning, that number, 94190155, or to speak to Emma on the outside line, 94198377. Stephen, a caller on the outside line wonders where they can purchase a sorbus uh, reductor, Apart from your own nursery, which is too far from the caller, he's interested in bonsaiing it. Uh, well, I can mail order now. So That's that, right. Mm. Although I'm not doing any mail order over the Christmas no, break. No, no, we're not. Um, because it's just, you know, too there's much. so much stuff out there that's going all over the place for Christmas oh, yes. presents that plants It'll will just get, get lost in up. the mail. So yeah. if they did want one, they could get in touch with me, ring me at the nursery. We can deal with the, uh, the order um, and payment and all that sort of stuff over the phone, uh, and it can be done. Uh, the issue with it is postage is not cheap. And for one six-inch pot... Uh, the minimum size box I can put it in is probably a $40 box, but then I can probably put two or maybe three six-inch pots in the same box. So there might be something else that uh, the caller's looking for that we could do, or he might, if he's into major production, he might want to bonsai a couple or more of the, the sorbus, and therefore it would make it a little bit more economical to mm-hmm. send them out. So I use somebody else who packages and sends things away for me because I don't have the time and facilities at work, so I just put the orders together, and he comes and collects them, takes them away and packages them. So obviously there's a little bit in it for him to make it worth his while, plus the postage and and the boxes and all that sort of stuff as well. So, yeah, so it would probably cost $40 postage. Uh, The plants themselves, I think, are about, uh, if I put my glasses on, I've actually still got a price sticker on the side of this one. They're $28.50 for the sorbus, which I don't think is too bad for a rare little tree. No, yeah, an unusual, beautiful little thing. So, yeah, so it can be done. I don't know who else he could get it from. Uh, I bought them in from a a wholesaler, so I know who the wholesaler is, but whether he sells into other Other nurseries in, in, in whoever this guy's area is I don't know yes uh, but he could always ring me and uh, I could always put him if it's if it's an issue for him uh, depending on where he is he may be able to go through my wholesaler or my wholesaler may be able to tell him where a supplier, supplier that is. you know he sells to is um, and so one way or another it could be done I guess so it mm-hmm. depends on your determination to have it Yes, I guess. And, and mail order is a great way of getting plants. I use, well, we are a mail order nursery. Yeah. We send them out every week um, by the box load. Mm. But um, I, I am a mail order plant shopper myself. Yes, yeah, well, <laughs> Not I, having a huge nursery with thousands of varieties of plants, I cannot resist somebody else's plants. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, there's always that plant <laughs> you don't there's have. There's always that yeah. one you need to add to the collection. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah. I love doing mail order plants. I just received a box a box load um, day before yesterday, yeah. Friday, 
and uh, they'd travelled very well indeed. If they're well packed, it's mm. just an excellent way of doing yeah. plant shopping. So anyhow, oh. so our caller could talk to me at some point. As I said, I'm not doing it over the Christmas break. Probably won't start back till about mid to late January before I'll start sort of getting orders together yeah, again. Yeah, we're and in suspension at the moment too, just because of the weather. Mm. We take orders at this time of the year, but then we you know, take care of them until the weather cools down and we can start mailing mm. out again. Yep. So there nice you go. So that might help him. Okay, excellent. Well, let's get to another plant. Right. Now, uh, I've got a wee hydrangea here. Well, it's actually not that wee, but, you know, you can't the tell. Flowers the, yeah, <laughs> the flowers are wincy. Yeah, the flowers are tiny. Uh, it's one of the hydrangea serratas, and there's a whole Aren't range of lovely? selection. They're gorgeous little hydrangeas. They are. Small leaves, little flower heads. In the case of this one, it's a lace cap. Um, and the... The sterile flowers, which have the bract-like petally structures around them, uh, are double. So it's got a little double sort of flower around the outside of the little tiny beady ones in the middle. Um, and there's a number of these double ones out there, and a lot of them look fairly similar, so I struggle with the names of the different ones. This is one I imported years ago uh, under the name of Kamachi. Um, uh, but I've seen similar ones that look much the same with yes. a different name on them. So yes. uh, I'm, you know, although I got mine from a good source that I feel fairly confident about, um, who's to say? Uh, because they all look. Well, uh, we have a story exactly that, Stephen. We also grow hydrangea serratas. I love them because yeah. they're so dainty and, and delicate looking, but actually robust growers. Yeah. But we had two, and uh, we and Rob and Sue in the nursery kept looking at these two, thinking, my word, they're very similar, aren't they? <laughs> and then we discovered that one we had was under the Japanese name, which meant waterfall, mm. and we also had the same hydrangea called waterfall. Uh, <laughs> ah. Just a translation, yeah, so yeah, no wonder right. they looked yeah, identical. Yeah, yeah, because they basically were. were yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, and that actually does create some issues. If people translate like from the, the original name, then yes. there's two names floating around out there, which is a bit unfortunate. Uh, and the rules say you're supposed to keep to the original, original. name. So, yes. So, yes, so... I'm sure Kamachi would translate as something. I'm not yes, quite sure what. Not sure what. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I wouldn't translate it into its English equivalent because that just creates confusion for people. So you should stick with the original name. Um, but I think the Serratas are good. Some of them colour quite well in their autumn foliage. They do indeed. Yeah, so that makes another added bonus because not a lot of hydrangeas, apart from the oak leaf one, can really aspire to foliage Much of, of interest. No. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they will sort of go murky yellow and brown and drop off generally. Uh, but quite Quite a number of serratas do colour well, and some of these little double florited ones are really cute. So, and they're small shrubs; they probably get up yes. just a little over a metre. The leaves are about a third the size of a classical and garden not hydrangea. Coarse no, in their... they're light. Yes, yeah, pretty so dainty. Hydrangea serratas, uh, and I don't care which ones you get; they're all cute and all worthwhile having a look at. Uh, and there seems to be a few different cultivars lurking around these days. So yes. I think a few of us have gone to a bit of effort to get a bit of a variety into the yes. country. And although hydrangeas do need a little watering, these don't seem to need as much. No, I agree with that. Mm. They're not as thirsty as a yeah. macrophylla mop top yeah. by so, any stretch yeah. of them. And they're quite shade tolerant. Yeah. So and good people who sort of think about hydrangeas and say those big old coarse things, yeah. you know, you might want to rethink. Rethink, yeah. yeah. So I think the hydrangea serratas are lovely. And I said that's a little one that I imported called Kamachi. So mm. quite cute. So Excellent. There you go. Yep. Okay, we're going next to uh, Chris online. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you this morning? Well, well, thank you. 
that's good. Um, I'm involved, as are a number of others, with a community garden in Brighton, and we bring in all sorts of stuff into the garden, uh, hay, bulk composts, coffee grounds, all that sort of stuff. And some time ago we brought in some horse poo um, and spread it around the place. We are now finding we have a lot of um, crop damage. Um, I've done some uh, some doctor googling and um, found out that it's likely to be um, something that has come through the uh, manure. Yes. Uh, some sort of amino pyrrolid product. Um, what I'd like to know is um, how widespread this sort of damage is. Uh, what is it sort of harmful to to humans? Uh, what can we do? Or what do we have to do, etc. It's a bit unfortunate because I've used horse manure in the garden off and on for years and never had a problem. Mm, so it's not—it's not all. As, as we have, as yeah, well, it's not a, not a common issue. But I guess no. these things can happen. So, um, but still, I'd rather have some sort of manure that I can get in and use than none at all. Yes. Um, I personally think that it's one of those things that will work its way through the soil. So it will disappear. I don't think there's any particular health issues for you. Um, and obviously you're not going to eat a, uh, a half dead vegetable anyway. So if the, if some of the crop has been damaged by, by this problem, you're not going to eat those plants necessarily anyway. I think it will work its way through. So I'm not too perturbed about the long term. Um, but in the meantime, I think the only thing you can do is keep adding to your um, organic base in the garden. That's what uh, I was about to yeah, say. Yeah. And so get other materials in, get them into the ground, keep those soil organisms moving, keep the worms moving um, and do all of that sort of stuff. And it will ameliorate the problem in due course. So that's about all you can really do. Um, and it's very unfortunate. And uh, Bad uh, luck. Yeah, yeah, and horse manure is one of those things that always has that slight chance of having some sort of issues with it because they do pump all sorts of chemicals into their horses for that's right. you know, antibiotics yeah, and all yeah. sorts of stuff going So particularly them. if it comes from racing stables. Yeah, and no, this, this, is not, this is not from racing stables. Right. But, um, but I mean, some people uh, want to get rid of basically the top, um, foot or so of soil, take it away completely, and um, and, and and you know sort of. I think that's I think that's else. a bit overkill. Personally, I, I don't see that there's a need to do that because any anything that goes into the ground is going to leach through. Yeah. So as long as you keep your, your soil in good fettle and keep it reasonably moist, so that all of the, the mm. organisms are working and moving in there, I think you'll find over a short period of time it'll dissipate. So I wouldn't what, what, What's worry. your definition of short? Oh, look, by the end of this season, I would have thought everything will be back to yeah. normal again. So you would say we would have to take out all of the crops we've put in at the moment? No, I wouldn't necessarily take them out. I'd see what happens with them. Uh, you could dig in some of those crops. I mean, the crop itself isn't going to hold a large quantity of the issue. No. So they could, you could turn your crops into green manure, if nothing else, and then that would just add to the organic material in the garden. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Did, did you put the manure sort of unadulterated onto the beds, or was some it... Did, some did, some didn't. I mean, we, we have been using the same manure, manure from the same place Source, for the yeah. last two decades on yeah. our home patches, um, but we always compost it down, etc., etc. Yes. And we try, even when we go to the, the horse facility, we do try and take stuff which is well weathered. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. But... Um, you know, you, you just don't know what's coming in feed and all that sort of That's stuff. That's right, yeah. yeah. But there's always this risk, uh, and look, it's not just with horses either. I mean, no. n- nearly any animal crop that's out there, 
they're pumping something into them. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's unusual for any animal not to have some sort of antibiotics or something. At some put stage, yeah. yeah. So, you know, so they are things that you have to be aware of. Um, I do think if you have the opportunity to compost it down first before you put saying, it on yeah. neat, yeah. it's yeah. a better way to oh, go. Much better. That's yeah. what we do. We get horse manure in. It's actually from a farm that looks after, you know, elderly and abandoned horses, etc. Oh, so it's old horse manure. <laughs> oh, <so> yeah. <laughs> in all senses of the word. <laughs> yeah. But not a racing that's exactly, I mean, what, yeah. uh, that's exactly what we get as well, yes. old, old horses. Yeah. But uh, we always manure. put it into a compost heap and keep adding lots of different stuff mm. and turning it and maturing it, etc., before it gets out on the garden. So it's probably a good six to 12 months after it arrives that it gets out to the garden. And it's mixed with so many other things that, yeah, yeah we've never had a problem. But, yeah, yeah, I really appreciate what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, people get a little bit scared when they see the impact on the plant itself. You know, oh, yes, very crinkled cupping leaves and and uh, sort of fern-like um, yeah, fronds yes. on your tomatoes and that sort of thing. It's, well, just, uh, just, 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 you've missed the crop for this yeah. year. Just as as Stephen suggested, turn it in, use it as a green manure crop, and just you know. Yeah. Wipe off this season, but yeah. um, and get you'll some, be fine. Get some good later. leguminous sort of things in, some pea straw or some uh, loosened hay or something like that, because yeah. the nitrogen that's in those things will get the soil really moving again, and hopefully it will leach out any of the toxins out of the ground. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it would seem yeah. sad to discard, you know, a foot of what in all, to all intents and purposes is pretty good topsoil, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, and you don't want to be losing all those microbes. Yeah. No, we've put a lot of work into the soil. And That's it's right. Organic, so it's an organic garden, so we, yeah. you know, we, uh, we, I'm a bit reticent to sort of take out um, you know, multiple cubic metres. Oh, yes, no, I wouldn't soil. be doing that. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I'd just be patient and it, it will all come Add as many around. other goodies as you can as quickly as possible. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, get ready I'll for your winter it. crops, perhaps. Yes, wait, wait for the winter crops, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, thank you very much. That's okay. a pleasure. Good luck with We're, that. Okay. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Right. Next up, let me see. We're going to uh, Ricky, who's in Strathmore. Good morning, Ricky. Good morning, panel. Go ahead. Um, I have uh, picked some uh, apricots this morning, and they have got lots of brown spots on the skin, and then I peeled them to make jam. They some are a bit more inside the flesh, and I'm wondering what what I can do about it. If it is short on fertilizer or chemical. Well, there's nothing you can do about it this year. No, I yeah, know. Yeah. The but fruit, the fruit is the fr- as the fruit is. So, and most of those things with apricots, it's a bit like cupping bald roses. It's about weather. It's weather driven. Yeah, yes. it is weather driven, and because we've had a fairly cool, uh, to a large extent, benign spring, uh, crops like apricots and a lot of the stone fruit like a bit of warmth, and so they get attacked by all sorts of fungal issues when it's damp and cool. Uh, so there's probably nothing you can do. Well, there's nothing you can do about this year. And there's probably nothing you could do about it as a rule if the weather is like that. I think your apricot tree is going to have those issues at any year when we get a really cool spring. So it's just a a seasonal thing. If we get a a drier spring next year, the apricots will probably be fine. 
Okay. Yeah. Thanks for your help. Yeah. Sorry. I sorry. I haven't got a silver bullet for that one. <laughs> Move the apricot tree north of the divide. Yes, they do far better <laughs> on the other side of the divide. I have to say. I can remember as a kid going up to the Murray River and spending yes. time with family. Delicious up there. apricots oh. melting in your mouth. Yes. 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 It makes in the heat. Sick. Yep. <laughs> okay then, Ricky. Thanks very much. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. Uh, that number, if you'd like to join us, 94190155 to speak to the team on air or 94198377 to speak to Emma on the outside line. Uh, and we've still got half an hour to go. So and we've still got some plants questions We've going. still got another plant and yes. this is one that uh, always intrigues me. I, I find plants that don't fit the normal moulds of things in whatever way, shape or form fascinating. And this is actually an intergenetic hybrid. And that doesn't happen often. You know, there's mm-hmm. only a handful of plants that are uh, crosses between two different genera. And in fact, often when they manage to cross two plants together that are seen to be comparatively far apart genetically, they then realise that actually those plants were probably closer than they thought because they could cross them. They so could breed, yes. Yeah, yes, so because yes. they could breed, then there's always the chance that, you know, they're now looking at the plant in a different way and it may end up being dumped in with one or other genera. At this stage, this plant hasn't been and it's been in its own um, hybrid genus uh, for, well, I think for some decades, possibly the best part of 100 years, and it's a cross between a fatsia, which is the mm-hmm. well-known indoor plant that also grows really well out in the garden, and that's where it should be because it looks fantastic, with its great big hand-shaped leaves, and an ivy. So it's a cross Ooh. between a fatsia and an ivy. Ooh. So it's called a fatshedera. <laughs> uh, what they tend to do when you get an intergenetic hybrid, they take part of each name and put it yeah. together. Uh, so we've got a fatshedera. Oh, uh, and fatshedera lisii is a... It's not quite a climber and it's not quite a shrub. Uh, it's sort of a scandent lax shrub, I guess you could say. But it can be trained as a climber. It looks fantastic growing up a, a pole in a fernery or something like that. You can just tie it into place. It doesn't cling like ivy. No. Hmm. Um, uh, so if you're going to grow it as a climber, you have to tie it up or hold it up in one okay, form Okay, so it's not going to wreck your walls. No, 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 no it can't. Uh, uh, it can also be allowed to just sort of sprawl and then you'll end up with this sort of semi-ground covering shrub and it has a leaf that's sort of larger than your average ivy but much much smaller than your average fatsia um, and nice and shiny like and lovely pear. shiny yes. glossy rich dark apple green foliage um, considering its parentage it's it's shade tolerant it's fairly drought tolerant mm. uh, it's reasonably easy going plant uh, it can be used as an indoor plant in fact I remember as a kid you used to see it in small pots in in coals and things like that in their in their indoor plant sections okay. and in fact there is somewhere out there and it was in Australia a silver edged one now that would be nice that would be a variegated I am on the life. hunt if anybody has the silver variegated or any variegated fats hetera for that matter uh, I am in the hunt for it, and I would be very happy to get some propagating material. I know it was here because I can remember seeing it as a kid, but I, I, I have looked and looked and looked, and nobody seems to be growing the variegated one anymore. Okay. Uh, and, in fact, in Europe and North America, there are several variegated selections mm-hmm. that you can find on the net, all of which look very desirable. <laughs> uh, but, anyhow, I'm quite happy to have found the green one again. Uh, and it all started because a friend of mine said, nobody seems to be growing fat cetera anymore, and, and I want some for a shady spot in a garden. So I'm started searching um, and I found an old one in the garden uh, so I started propagating from it so now I grow it every year um, and so of course like all 
great plant hunters, I want the other one. I haven't yeah, got Of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so, All the other yeah. ones. <laughs> so variegated fats hetera is something I'm looking for. I mean, I'm not looking for variegated heteras, as in ivies, because no, no, there's no. plenty of those out there. Um, but the variegated fats hetera is a very desirable plant. It has a very nice, clean white edge around yes, the leaf. Yes, yes. Um, looks stunning in the garden, would make a great indoor plant. And, of course, because people are getting back into houseplants again... Um, it's rather fun as a rare plant nurseryman to be able to offer them something that I can grow outdoors in my cold climate, but that can be used as an indoor plant as Goes well. Goes in the bathroom as yeah, well. Yeah, so fats hetero I think is great for that. And uh, as long as they don't bring back those anodized pots they used to use in the 1960s. <laughs> uh, I still remember rubber trees and fatsias in these iridescent, anodized... With, with macrame wrappers. Yes, <laughs> and they were sort of pimpled. They were sort of beaten yes, yes, pots. Yes, I know you, them. you know the yep. ones? You must, Meryl. I'm, yes, yes. And, we're and, of an age. We yeah, know yeah, yes, and, and the colours of them were disgusting. Yes. But anyhow, um, they'll probably come back. They're very retro now, I'm sure. Uh, so Fats Hedera Lizzii, um, I think it's a great plant. I've got a couple of them growing in the garden at home, and they're in really difficult spots where that gets really dry and hydrophobic in the summer. Yes. Uh, they don't tolerate being out in full sun terribly well. They will Not with those leaves, no. bleach. Uh, but in the shade, they're very drought tolerant uh, and they're glossy so they always make a bit of liveliness in, in those sort of places. And, um, and I think it's really great fun. It will be interesting though now that we can do genes and chromosomes and all that sort of thing to see whether at some point or another somebody doesn't pick up on this one and do the study of it and work out and really whether they are that close or not. And then we'll have to change all the names. And it's you know so what will probably happen? Uh, they'll all end up in hetera so the fatsias will all just disappear and, and be in, in hetera and everybody will be annoyed because they don't look like ivies no very confusing <laughs> yeah so so that's uh, another plant I brought along and I think it's a it's, it's a worthy plant uh, something worthwhile while looking out for I don't know many people who are growing it I have to say it's one of those plants that at the moment I seem to be the only one that I've seen. I haven't seen it show up in the chain stores and things as a house plant again. Which is a shame, really, because it, it is... It yeah, would be, be perfect, you know, yeah. so... Uh, but, of course, if it does show up in Bunnings or Coles, then I'll probably have to stop growing it. Because <laughs> one can't be a rare plant nursery with no, plants not available no, in no, Bunnings no, and Coles. No, no. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I'd probably end up stop stop cultivating it and I guess at the end of the day if I really wanted to I suppose I could look at importing it but it's getting so oh, terribly it's really complicated difficult. yeah it's getting really hard it's, to get yeah, things in yeah. there and I'm almost convinced that Fats Hedera probably isn't on the icons list so I'd have to get it accepted yeah, onto yeah. the list yeah. uh, as an import um, and then bring it through quarantine and all that sort of thing and for a plant that I probably will never make a lot of money out no, of no no you're only going to sell 10 Stephen yeah, keep a right. grip yeah yes you, you do need to be well, maybe you don't need to be practical if you've got the money that you can throw at something, but <laughs> I have to be practical because I don't make enough as a nurseryman to be that, you know, sort of free with my dough uh, to bring in a plant that I'm never going to make an awful lot of money out of. Yeah. Having said all of that, the fats header is comparatively easy to propagate. Um, so you can bulk them up reasonably quickly. Um, they're reasonably fast growing. And aren't you lucky you found an old one? Yeah, and I found the old one of the green. So now all I need to do is find that variegated one well, that I'm convinced is right, out there that's somewhere. The hunt. <laughs> so all those people listening in, um, have a look at what a fat header looks like on our website because uh, you may have one 
in and an not realise somewhere and yes. not realise yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. got the variegated fats, etc. Yeah. And I would drive distances to get cuttings if I could find <laughs> out that it existed out there somewhere. There you and, go. And There's I, a and challenge. I, and I could be very generous to anybody who can find me one. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. Here's yeah. a chance for a date with Stephen. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Well, actually, I wasn't thinking in that direction. But <laughs> who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, some of us will do almost anything. For <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so there you go. So a weird intergenetic hybrid which I think is fun. Yeah, it is fun. Yeah. Okay, we've got a few callers to get through. First up, we're going to go to to Marion. Where are we? Good morning, Marion. Hello. Marion, are you there? In in relation Ah. to uh, that gentleman with the horse manure, I thought I might give him heart. At at least it it gives me heart to repeat this. Uh, About nine years ago, I casually threw horse manure around the garden thinking I was doing quite the right thing before we went overseas. And, of course, ever since then, we've grown all these wonderful weeds, very easy to get out. But we've also had wonderful dragonflies and hoverflies and blue-banded bees and all these wonderful little creatures that come along and just love all these grasses. So I just thought it might make him feel better, not to worry too much about the horse manure. Excellent. It will settle down in time. So. That's right. Good That's call. Certainly. Thank yeah. you. And that is You're the other welcome. issue with horse manure, of course, is you doing you are inclined to import an interesting array of new weeds. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. A good idea to compost weed. first. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, well if I put down fresh manures, uh, particularly something like horse, I always put a mulch over the top straight away yeah. too. So Yes, no, um, I wasn't so clever. <laughs> 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 uh, Meanwhile I think all these lovely creatures have been well worthwhile, so I don't good. mind at all. Fantastic. Okay, thanks. Marion. Merry Christmas to you all. Same to you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, next up, moving along, we have uh, Barbara in Mount Martha. Good morning, Barbara. Oh, good morning. Look, I just wonder if the panel could help me in relation to um, my challenging garden. I'm pretty much front line, and I, I put in, a, a, I've got a tiered garden. Lavender does well. I've lost Maria and I lost Lily Pellets. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking. I just want something interesting. I used to come to your garden, Stephen, mm-hmm. Yamina, and Craig's garden, and when I was in Bourne, I had all these lovely plants, and I still, I can't grow these things down here. And um, I'm just wondering. I'm looking at Westringia naringa, but is there anything interesting that I could put that is a, a the west southwesterly channels up the southern side of our house, and it's salt laden and cold, mm-hmm. and it hits these this this some um, hedge. You could try some Santolinas. They're well adapted to those conditions and there's all different sorts with different... They have little button flowers, covered in button flowers, right through the warmer months and there's all different varieties. So you can have different coloured buttons from pure white all the way through to sort of deep golden egg yolk yellow. You can have different coloured foliages from grey through to vivid lime yellow and variegated etc and you can have different sizes from tall down to little miniature ones so have a little look at those actually another sort of on a similar vein things like um some of the um uh, the leonotus the yes, uh, yeah, the lion's, lion's ears, lion's ears. yes uh, the white ones very elegant yeah and of course um oh now I'm having a mental block uh, as well. Artemisias would work yeah, extremely would work. well. Um, the yellow things. Oh, God. Sylvia-like flowers, yellow. Um, 
Yellow salvia-like flowers. Uh, help, help, Flomuses. Help. Ah, yes, flomus, exactly. There's some wonderful... I, I knew it would come eventually. Yeah. <laughs> and, yes. and they're not all yellow. You can yeah. have all sorts you can of have lovely... Yeah. You can have pink, you can have white, you can have yeah. lemon, Yeah, so flomuses purple. would cope with those sort of conditions yes, well. Yes, beautifully. So, you know, so anywhere you can grow lavender, I think things like flomuses and, and leonotuses and santolinas. Yep. I mean, there's a whole range of different plants like that. Some of the shrubby grey selvias would be good. Yes. Um, you know, some and those South African selvias, they yes. would be really Senechios good. Senechios would mm. be excellent. Yeah. Hallicrysums. Yeah. So the, the Leonotus do do well. We've got them on the other side of the garden, mm. and they, they, they thrive here. Oh, Marge, yes. I'm going to take your advice, Stephen, because I've got a flowering ash, mm. which is shredded mm. on the other side of this wall. Can you suggest anything, a deciduous tree that might do, do well down here that's quite that's interesting? Mm. Not Bunnings. <laughs> uh, look, there's a few possibilities uh, of trees that should cope quite well for you um, as, as a smaller tree. Um, some of the hawthorns could be worth looking at. Yes. There's a whole range of attractive ornamental yes. hawthorns. Um, if you want evergreen, the Mexican hawthorn is fantastic. If you're looking for deciduous ones, the French hawthorn is fabulous. It doesn't get any thorns. It has great autumn foliage, white flowers, and huge orange-red fruit on it, uh, which often hangs well into the winter. The birds seem to leave it until it hits the ground mm-hmm. um, and so the French hawthorn could be a, a definite possibility uh, they seem to be able to cope with the buffeting of winds yes. and everything else going they're drought tolerant they're pretty tough in lots of different ways um, so you could look at some of those some of the tougher uh, crab apples would probably work um, um, so you know you could look at some of those I'd, I'd definitely go for the sort of harder leafed crabs in your it, it, do you have French hawthorn? Or I don't know uh, yeah, I've got some at work. I've got Actually, I've got some quite well-established ones, if I remember rightly, that are up about two and a bit metres tall now. Um, and it's a, it's a nice sort of free-form irregular tree. It, doesn't make, it doesn't make a, rarely makes a single trunk. It tends to come up as a multiple trunk tree. And then it has these sort of flattened branches that come out in layers. Um, and it's a charming little tree. And, and even in a difficult garden like yours, I think it should grow fine. Oh, thank you. That sounds fabulous. And thank I'm you. sure I can get one in the back seat of a car. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Thank you. That's a pleasure. Bye bye. Bye. Yeah, I think we should be growing a lot more flomuses and, yeah. and, oh, and yes. leonotuses and all and those sorts so of things. So many new lovely mm. varieties, not mm. just lovely in flower, mm. but lovely in foliage yeah. and shape, mm. structure. Mm. Okay, uh, next up we're going to, let me see. Uh, uh, Yes, we have Pam in Coburg. Good morning, Pam. Good morning. Yes, go ahead. I just wanted to follow up on the apricots. Right. Um, I'm a member of the Heritage and Rare Fruits Network, which oh, is yeah. a right. good on group. But they recently um, had their first grafting day in Tasmania, and it turns out that the history of apricots in Australia was actually in Tasmania and mm. Gippsland, and there were huge processing plants. Oh, really? But then there was a whole new development of bringing in the, you know, the the um, Tunisian and other apricots from other places, and a whole industry developed north of the divide. Mm-hmm. But they managed to come across a few cold climate of the very old remnant trees in Tassie. Oh, fantastic. That's brilliant. So it's uh, actually worth doing a bit more investigation and getting the right varieties. I've got a couple of Canadian varieties, which are much more cold climate. So it's really that that the industry developed 
um, a, a variety or varieties suitable yes. for where there was a lot of cheap land and water mm-hmm. yes. and went ahead with that. But the others are around and now I think there's a bit of a search for some of the old varieties. Yes, which is a good thing because some of those cultivars can be really useful. It was one of the members of your organisation that gave me a fig tree years ago which didn't have a name for it but it was a particularly cold hardy um, variety of fig which is doing quite well in my garden up at Macedon. Mm. So uh, it's always nice to know that these old cultivars are still out there somewhere and somebody's growing them. Um, If people were interested though... Uh, how would they get in touch with the uh, organisation or, in fact, become members? I think that's something people Well, know. it's a Facebook group. Yep. So it's Heritage and Rare Fruit, Fruit Network. Aha. Uh-huh. So and people Google that. that they, on Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they go onto Facebook and then search for that as the group, yep. Heritage and Rare Fruit Network, the page will, pages will come up. Fantastic. Excellent. Yes, well, I think, you know, there is a push to go to find all these old cultivars. And yes. Things. And we were and just so talking about, well, think, yeah, well, we were just talking about we importing think, and you won't do yeah. it now. No, no, but I think the industry itself has influenced what happens, what of plants course. have kept going. Yes. And it's in their interest because they're doing mass production, but I think there's heaps of these more niche, niche varieties, which were once the main commercial varieties. Yes, yes that's yes. right. And just gone. I would love to see some of your members actually holding national collections, which is another thing that people should be looking at doing because Very if things are properly registered and documented and we know where they are, if something happens to the existing owner or they get too old to manage their, their, their plant material, then we try and make sure that things get moved on to other people who can keep it going because it's just become virtually impossible to import now. Uh, So we do need to protect the the biodiversity that we've actually got and keep it in cultivation. So if anybody's interested, I think uh, Plant Trust would love to hear from some of the heritage fruit tree people uh, who have got good collections of plants uh, for potentially registering them. I think that's great idea. Well, that's interesting. I'll talk to... I've got a friend who's got, you know few hundred varieties of plums at his place. He sounds like just the sort of person Perfect we need to meet. No, yes. Yeah, and, and hopefully he would be interested in, in, in setting it up as a registered collection uh, because then it's documented and we know where it is and it's yes, just so yes. important to do these things. So well, we've tried many times just with, you know, volunteer spreadsheet type things, but it's never quite come together. Mm. So... Um, yeah, well, maybe your group and, and, and Plant Trust might need to get together at some point, which would be good. Mm. Fantastic. Thank okay. you for that input. Yes, that was great. And it's so Pleasure. important for plums and apples, all sorts of things that used to have all sorts of commercial uses that have now moved away, but the plants are there. Mm. Lots of pears in Gippsland, very mm. interesting old pear varieties in Gippsland. At the Tura Yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yes, there's still a lot around, but it's uh, none of us are very good at paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, maybe... trust help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you probably need some help there. So, you know, we, we might be able to help in some way or another, at least. But, yes, it is an important thing, and I'm always on the lookout for people who are prepared to hold national collections. Um, so important. It, it really is, because we will start losing... Well, we have, over the years, lost a huge number so of cultivars yeah. of both ornamental and also productive plants. Yes, um, yes. I mean, 
I've got an old catalogue at home from the Smith's Nursery in Riddles Creek that was there about the 1890s or something like that. And the varieties of apples, cherries, plums, yes. pears, the things that they were selling uh, was just mind-boggling. I mean, dozens and dozens of different cultivars that they had available back then, uh, most of which have probably disappeared out of cultivation pretty well altogether. And that's sad. Well, if you if you actually look up Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, yep. who hold grafting days as well, their lists are pretty impressive yep, yep, of yep. the varieties that are available. So everyone in these groups donates sign each year to the grafting days. Oh, so you yep. get this amazing range of things. Fantastic. But they're online too. If you look up Werribee Park Heritage Orchard, you can see their lists of varieties that were at the last grafting day. And it's yep. impressive. Brilliant. Uh, fabulous. Yes. Well, well, thank done. you for your input. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, Bye. bye. Okay, uh, next up we're going to go to um, Ruth, who's in Box Hill. Good morning, Ruth. Oh, good morning. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that um, I can get some advice on a um, uh, terrible weed problem that we have in our yard under our fruit trees. Um, I've done a bit of Googling and I've, I thought I might try and um, put some cardboard, uh, perhaps some, um, say, manure first cardboard and then some mulch on top of it. I was just wondering what... Um, what, what you would think of that? Uh, well, it depends on what the weed is to an extent. Um, uh, it's that wandering type, the Tradescantia. Mm. Oh, that's a tough that's one. That's going to be hard to get yeah. rid of with cardboard yeah. and mulch, yes. I have to say. Um, It'll just keep running to get to the edge. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it also can survive for yonks just as a cutting or as a little mm. piece that's sort of left. Yeah. Um, Having said that, it doesn't go that terribly deep into the ground. Um, no. I think physical removal of the plant and... I, I was going to try and do that. Yeah, <laughs> There's look, quite a bit of it, but yeah, um, look, I could do it bit by bit. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I think, I think it's the way to go, and, and I would collect all of the material that you take out and I would yep. put it into a black plastic bag. In the sun. Yep. In the sun and I would cook the, the bilio out of it in the hot sun. I, I, I would happily do that. Yeah, well, you know, you get your own back. Um, uh, <laughs> and that way it will die in due course. Just don't put it back into the garden until you're quite confident that it is yep. completely and utterly dead. Um, yep. But then it could go into the compost and get rotted down. But I think physical removal is about the only way you're going to get rid of that mm. tratus cant here. It is, it, mm. it is quite a difficult plant to manage otherwise. Um, yeah. But at so, least... At least it doesn't go really deep into the ground. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the idea of the cardboard? I'm, I'm just a bit worried that um, the moisture wouldn't get through cardboard under the trees. I just don't want to kill anything. <laughs> well, you probably won't kill the trees because they'll have a fairly established root system, I should think, and they will be able to go out and get moisture. Yeah, yeah. But it's not my preferred method of dealing with things because you're no. right, it will p- create a layer in which moisture won't get into things that you want moisture yeah. to get into. Um, what, what would your approach be, Stephen? Well, I would just dig it out. I would, I would just spend my time digging it out and then I would mulch and then I would go back in there and... Every time I saw a tiny bit come up, yeah, yep. uh, yep. persecuted, yeah, and just just keep on top of it. The the trick is that eventually, yep. if you keep digging it out long enough, and you're reasonably thorough with your work, um, yep. that you will get on top of it, um, and you know saves you a lot of money in gym fees. <laughs> so I would, I would just be persistent with it uh, And hopefully your neighbours as well Because there's every chance your neighbours might well have um, uh, an infestation yeah. as well And it will keep coming in your direction Unless they get on top of theirs as well Yeah, yeah um, 
Yeah, I can I can give that a go, but I'd have to do that in in um, short spurts. I think because there's yes. so much of it. Um, but yes. if I put mulch under the trees, how close would you put the mulch? Up, well, you can go up close to the, the trunks. You you don't trunk. have to keep a huge area back. Um, yep. um And it depends on the mulch. I mean, if it's a strawy hay sort of mulch, you can pull it in quite close to the trees. I yeah, think. Yeah. So mm. just uh, just the usual sort of variety of things for mulch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yes, okay. the best of luck with that, Travis Cantier, because it is a beggar of a thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I remember hearing uh, someone uh, once saying, "Oh, Travis Cantier is easy, you know, to get uh, to get out. All you do is just rake it and you roll it up into a ball." But they didn't say what happened with the bits that were left over. No, no they, they right. really grow and they <laughs> all shoot. <laughs> yeah, they all shoot again. So yeah, so so you don't want to let it get to the point where you could roll it into a ball. Um, <laughs> well, so once you get rid of the worst. Uh, then you need to just keep on top of it. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. Thanks so much. That's okay. a pleasure. All Good luck with yeah. it. Bye. Bye. Yes, we all have our crosses to bear in. Oh, yeah, yes, we and, do. And I'm glad do. that's not one of mine. <laughs> no, yes, that's a bad one. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yep. Um, we have a query from the outside line. John uh, would like to know... Uh, is a variegated uh, Plectranthus uh, eclonii available? Not, uh, not that I've seen. No, I haven't seen it. No. no there are other variegated Plectranthuses, but I haven't seen a form of no, eclonii no, variegated, either. which would be quite a nice thing, particularly if it was the blue one with a silver variegation. Yes, I'd, I'd quite fancy pretty. that. Uh, but I haven't seen no, one. No, I haven't seen it available. Uh, but I am sure people uh, who listen in to us, um, like Sue and you know, a few of the others out there that are into all this sort of stuff, Virginia, if she's been listening this morning, she would possibly know whether one's been out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always a chance it'll, it'll erupt out at some point or another and somebody will yes. find one because that's how variations yes. sort of happen. You, yes. you just wait for somebody to see something that's a bit different and they collect it and propagate from it. But no, I haven't seen a variegated one, unfortunately. Incidentally, if Virginia is listening, um, while I can remind you to do it, yes. um, you can tell Virginia that you think you've identified the pea plant that they were looking at on the walk yesterday. Uh, yes, yes, I think I, I think I have, and we've we've written it down. So okay, yeah. So, yeah. so you can pass that on. To I Virginia. will. I will pass it on to her this morning. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, there we go. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Okay. So we've we've nearly come to the end of another show. Yep. Um, Meryl, can I please ask you to, again, give out um, your website and your phone number details um, so that if people are interested in, in doing a tour with you down the track or, or, or plants, getting on a wait for, list or plants, yes. you, as you said, you do mail order. Yes. It's uh, www.countryfarmperennials.com. Au. So nice Couldn't and easy. Could be almost easier. <laughs> <laughs> and it's 0356284202. And we would love to hear from you. Excellent. Yep. Lots of great. lovely gardeners. Yep. Stephen, um, mm. we're not going to see you until February. February now. Yes, yes. <laughs> I will be going through the Christmas break about once a fortnight on the ABC. So, if oh, so you're still doing the fill-in. Yeah, yep. yeah, I'll be still doing some fill-in over the summer for the ABC when they've got their, their summer presenters in. Um, my next time is the 28th. Uh, of December if people are, are Okay. So I will be in there 9.30 on a Saturday morning. Yep. So I'll yep. still have a presence out there in Radio Land yep. uh, over the, the Christmas break. Uh, but, yes, I think we're all having a 
well-earned break, really, to a large extent? I think so. I'm, I'm, I'm counting the days. In <laughs> <laughs> all honesty, um, yes, it's been another long year. It certainly has. Yeah, but um, also, also a quick reminder that if anyone does want to go with you to Chile next oh, yes. year. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's yeah. now yeah. open. Yeah, it's so now open. Exciting. Get yourselves organised. I think it's going to be a fantastic trip. It's 21 days. Uh, there's a couple of internal flights so that we can get... It's a big place. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> very long. <laughs> when Craig and I visited it years ago as, as independent tourists, uh, I said, how hard can it be? You tra- travel in one direction and you hit mountains. You travel in the other direction and you hit the ocean. You can't uh, get lost. You can't get lost. <laughs> At least that's what I thought. Um, it's actually a little more complex than that, but it is the most fabulous country and of course because it's been a bit of a financial powerhouse in the last few years there's also a fair bit of money in Chile now and there's yes, been some, some amazing houses and gardens yes I've taken people to private gardens sensational so, yeah so it should be really quite something and hopefully we'll see a few wildflowers in the lower reaches of the Andes I promise not to drag people to the top <laughs> um, I, I crossed the Andes by boat, and it mm. was one of the most extraordinary things I've ever done. You can do it. There's a series of lakes and rivers that you right. get, they go up on one side and down on the other side, Good and you heavens. actually cross the Andes by boat. Fantastic. I was that there when it was really wet, and I thought I might as well. <laughs> uh, All right, okay. it's time to go. It is time to go. Meryl, we will be seeing you again. Yes. Thank you so much in February, so looking forward to that. Stephen, I'll see you in the second week of uh, yes, February. Of February yes. But, of course, I will be here next Sunday morning for our very last show for the year. So do join me 7.30 next Sunday morning. Until then, bye for now. Mm-hmm.